Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, January the 2nd. And in case you haven't heard it enough already, I hope you all had a great New Year's and are ready to get started here in 2020. I hope you enjoyed the uh, Team Canada game here earlier today, which we had on. Uh, another big win for the Canadians, beating Slovakia 6-1 to in quarterfinal action. Uh, there was a, a little negativity surrounding this team following that 6 nothing beatdown at the hands of the Russians on the weekend, but uh, they didn't dwell on that and instead have rung off three straight wins over Germany, the Czech Republic, and now Slovakia. And Canada will be back in action on Saturday as they compete for a spot in the gold medal game. We will, of course, have that game for you here on Radio NL. Uh, the semifinal opponent is yet to be determined though as there are a couple of games still to be played here today. Uh, I got a good show lined up today. In about 10 minutes I'll be joined in studio by Kamloops Search and Rescue. They had a busy 2019 with 44 callouts and close to 3,000 task hours put in. So Jen Stahn will be joining me here to talk about the year that was and in the back half of today's show I'm going to be uh, getting set for the NFL playoffs. It is Thursday and NFL fans like myself have been spoiled with Thursday night football all season long. Well now we are into the postseason. No Thursday night football but uh, that doesn't mean we can't talk about Wild Card Weekend coming up here starting on Saturday. But to begin today's show, I'm talking about what's going on out at Sun Peaks Resort. Uh, they've had a, uh, of course, uh, getting ready to uh, get into full swing here now that 2020 is upon us and the under-16 Canadian Alpine Nationals are set to take place at Sun Peaks this March. And I'm joined now by Aiden Kelly. Aiden, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, glad to be on as always. So, uh, yeah, how has the holiday season been so far? I imagine it's sort of uh, when things really start to pick up for you guys. Definitely. It's, uh, it's typically our busiest week of, of the year when you get in that Christmas to New Year's stretch. There's, uh, there's thousands and thousands of people up here all enjoying their, uh, their Christmas vacation time and uh, getting out on the mountain and uh, all those types of things. So, it's, yeah, it's our busiest period. It's been really good, uh, super hectic last few days as we kind of got hit with that all-time storm um, there that started on December 30th, and we're still, uh, still kind of digging out from it this morning, to be honest. But uh, it's, been, it's been great. Lots of people have smiles on their face and uh, enjoying the snow. Yeah, so can you maybe tell me a little bit about how this storm has impacted uh, the, the conditions out there? I mean, I understood that it was maybe a bit of a slower start in terms of that snow that was accumulating there on the mountain, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, after this last week or so that, uh, you know, you guys have a pretty solid base of, of what's going on snow-wise up there. Oh yeah, we're in we're in fantastic shape now as we uh, as we move into the new year and into January here. So there was that massive storm kind of started December 30th and uh, it ran consistently right through the early hours of, of New Year's Day. So we've been pretty busy dealing with all the repercussions of that. So we haven't had time to kind of sit down and go through all the data. But there's a very very big chance that uh, that it's the largest single storm in Sun Peaks history. So we we actually had so much snow in such a short period of time that it overwhelmed all of our you know snow tracking systems and and all of that so no one actually knows what the exact number is of, of snow that fell we were we, we know for sure that it was slightly north of, of 60 centimeters and uh and probably about a 36 hour period um but it could have been you know north of 70 centimeters as well it's somewhere in that uh, in that territory so it was massive and uh it was great for all the skiers that were out on the mountain like a lot of people whether they were visitors or locals were talking that it was 
it was the deepest best day they've ever seen at, at, at Sun Peaks um, and it was the temperatures were a little bit warmer than they normally would be at this time of year which means that there's a little bit more density to the to the snow so it was slightly heavier which actually sets us up really really well for the remainder of the year because as you mentioned before now we have a really strong solid snow base um, to move forward for the rest of the season and January is just it's looking like phenomenal skiing now. Right on. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a bit of a skier's dream and the fact that it happened during a time when a lot of people are, are off work and taking advantage to go to the slopes and, and uh, you know, just the perfect timing for, for a lot of those people who are up there. Um, with that storm, though, did come some power outages up at some peaks. That was one of the, the major areas that seemed to be hit when we were talking to BC Hydro a couple of days ago there on the, the 30th, 31st. Um, I guess, how did that impact you? Did, did you see uh, much of an impact as a result of any uh, outages up there? Yeah, there were there was big impacts for us for sure. Um, it was a resort-wide outage, and uh, it was a long one. Um, the, the the power went out kind of uh, early afternoon, I believe, on uh, on New Year's Eve, and then uh, it was out um, all through the afternoon, all through the night, and then started coming back on um, kind of in the early morning hours of uh, of New Year's Day. Um, so that was a tough one because New Year's Eve is typically our busiest day of the year up here. It's when all the restaurants are full, all the hotels are full there's people taking in all the events and, and things like that so we had to make a bunch of bunch of adjustments obviously uh, a majority of the restaurants and things like that weren't open so for people getting food and meals and it was a little trickier than, than normal we do have a few of the establishments um, up here that run on backup generators so those guys were very very busy with lineups out the door um, we had to make some adjustments to our event schedule on, on New Year's Eve and then we had to pull the plug on a couple of things that we took typically do just based on a the power and 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 b the storm was still in full swing at that point with the snow coming down so we still got the fireworks uh, the new year's eve fireworks show off um that went and it was awesome this year too it was really really good and it had a really really big crowd because no one's really hanging out in their condo or townhouse or hotel room without power right so everyone's outside and and, and mingling and creating a bit of a fun atmosphere so um yeah it's it's just you know you try and pick up all the pieces behind the scenes it was crazy for us with you know computer servers and and getting backup power running for chairlifts and and all these things so we've got some pretty tired operational crews out there that have been working really long hours the last couple of days but we try and do all that stuff as much as we can behind the scenes to ensure that all the guests still have a have a good experience so um, definitely some inconveniences but there'll be a lot of people that'll be telling stories about their uh, new year's eve 2019 2020 experience um for a long time to yeah. come yeah pretty hectic night there for you and uh like you said uh, probably some good memories for a lot of people who were there and i mean you spend how much time planning an event like that so why would it go off smoothly that's just not how it works right so yeah exactly yeah. well speaking of uh, big events uh, one of the reasons i did bring you on and, and it was you know prior to the snowstorm i wasn't expecting that to, to be such a topic of discussion here but uh in march uh sun peaks is set to host the under 16 canadian alpine nationals so this sounds like a, a pretty significant event for for the resort i mean can you just maybe start by telling me how you guys went about securing this event and, and sort of why this was something that was appealing to Sun Peaks? 
Yeah, well, it makes sense for us for, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, this is one of the biggest and most prestigious events uh, on on the calendar for Alpine Canada um, throughout the whole year. So um, it carries a little bit of weight, and it's a really fun one to, to be able to host. So we had some conversations with uh, with BC Alpine, who's who's kind of heading it up on, on the West Coast, and uh, they'd, uh, they'd kind of done their due diligence and talked to a number of resorts and, and what places might make sense. I, I think Sun Peaks was, was always pretty close to the top of that list just due to our kind of structure amenities and um, our events team and all those kind of things. We've got a track record of, of pulling off things like this quite well. Um, so that's where those conversations started and then uh, and then it just kind of continued on uh, continued on from there and it was decided that Sun Peaks would, would be the best venue and, and the timing really makes sense for us too because it's happening in early March, like the 9th of 14th I believe, which is early mid-March I guess, um, which is right before the, the spring break rush hits for us. So it's in a really good time of the, of the calendar, and it'll create a really nice vibe um, around the resort and some really, really high-caliber athletes that'll be here from all across the country. Yeah, it sounds pretty exciting and, and something pretty cool for people to, to take in. Do you, can you con- quantify how big of an event this is? Do you know how many kids will be coming in to take part? Um, roughly, so so from an athlete participation perspective, there's about 160 athletes because um, it's all of the it's all of the top athletes from each province that uh, that'll be coming. So it's about 160 athletes. But then on top of that, then you layer on all the coaches associated with that, all the volunteers that'll be coming in from across the country for that, and then all of the parents and families and friends that'll that'll come along and travel as well. Just you know, as I mentioned, this is one of the most prestigious events on the calendar, and it hasn't been out west for a number of years now so i mean we're pretty excited to to showcase kind of bc's best here um at uh, at sun peaks for an event that hasn't been out here for for quite a while um so when you when you add up all um all the participants and all those other folks um you know there'll be a lot of people in uh in resort in addition to all the regular guests that we have and i think it'll just create uh, a pretty uh, a pretty good atmosphere there's a bunch of ancillary events that go along with the races you know everything from parades through the village to banquets and and all of that type of stuff so so the animation and uh, and the activation and the enjoyment level should be uh, should be pretty high that week and uh, we're kind of constantly working on it now there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle when you're pulling off an event of that nature so uh, we're actively on that file now and uh, look forward to uh, another successful event in March yeah that's cool uh, hundreds of people going to be descending upon Sun Peaks for that event from the like you said March 9th to the 14th so a six-day period big day not only for the resort itself but uh, for the village I would think too um, can you maybe tell me a little bit? I mean, it's, I know it's still a couple months away, and maybe the schedule is not like set in stone or anything like that. But I'm just curious when we're talking about six days, March 9th to the 14th, that's Monday through Saturday. Is that like uh, racing all day, or you mentioned some ancillary events that go along with that? Is that like a parade on Monday and, and then racing Tuesday through Saturday? Do you have any idea what that schedule looks like at this point in time, or is that still being worked out? Yeah, we're still finalizing this, the, the 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 details of the schedule for sure. But there'll there'll be a number of things. Some of the things will coexist. A lot of the kind of ancillary um, activities will probably take place in the evening time, um, because during the daytime it'll either it'll be a combination of things. It'll either be race training, race qualifying, or the actual finals of the events. So there'll be stuff going on on mountain from a racing perspective every single day um, of of the event, and then uh, in a few of the evenings there'll be things going on as well so we're just kind of slotting in now where um, all those specific events fall because there's a lot of there's a lot of players in the mix from from us and kind of what works well organizationally and operationally here at the mountain but then also what the vision of, of BC Alpine is who's taking the lead on the event with us 
and then also the needs of Alpine Canada and all the requirements for, for a prestigious event like this. So there's a lot of hands in the cookie jar that everyone sort of has to be aligned on how things flow, flow properly, and uh, and that'll be for the experience of everyone involved, right, from, from the athletes to all the other folks that are here as well. Awesome. Well, uh, I think it's going to be an exciting event. Like you had mentioned, hundreds uh, hundreds of people will be there uh, to take part, and, and not only to race, but also to, to coach and to volunteer and, and parents as well. So it's going to be a big event, March 9th to the 14th, the Under-16 Canadian Alpine Nationals at Sun Peaks. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Aiden. I really appreciate you taking the time, and, and maybe you can go get a, a little bit of sleep now that this uh, the storm is in the past, and hopefully things are a little bit smoother moving forward for you. That's what I'm hoping, but there's another big storm that's supposed to hit tonight, so we might have another big fun day in the snow uh, tomorrow. So if anyone is thinking about coming up this weekend, I think it's going to be some all-time conditions. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Aiden. Appreciate your time. All right, thank you. All right, that was Aiden Kelly with Sun Peaks Resort. Coming up after the break, it's a busy year here for Kamloops Search and Rescue in 2019, so we'll be getting a bit of a rundown of what took place last year uh, after this. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, January 2nd. Thanks so much for tuning in. With 2020 now having officially started, a number of organizations will be compiling their stats for 2019, and Kamloops Search and Rescue has done just that. I'm joined in studio now by Jen Stahn. Jen, thanks so much for coming in. So, uh, a busy year here for KSAR, or KSAR. Um, can you maybe put that into perspective for me numbers-wise, just uh, to kind of start things off here? Sure. Uh, 2019 saw... Uh, Kamloops Search and Rescue have 44 different tasks. That's our second highest number of tasks that we have on record. Uh, with that came about 2,900 task hours that our members put in. And while that's not our highest, it allowed us to do a lot of training as well. So we put in uh, close to 4,300 hours in training, which is uh, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, um, I mean, how does that compare historically? I guess, how did 2019 look compared to, you know, years prior? Well, in 2017, we had our record year with 49 tasks, so we were just a few tasks less than that. But I think the big difference is last year we had a record high 72 operational periods, and this year we had just 59, which means we spent less days on task. Okay, so uh, I guess, I mean, it sounds like you guys have had almost uh, two or three years here of, of pretty high numbers, I guess, compared to your historical averages. Do you have any ideas sort of why that might be? Is there anything you can attribute to as to why, you know, 2017, 18, 19 have been busier than normal? I think the last three years have definitely been the busiest that we've had, and a lot of that comes from more people just wanting to get outside. We do live in BC, and people come here to explore the outdoors and enjoy being outside. So I think that's part of it. But also, there's just more of an awareness over search and rescue and what we do. So I think we're just being called out more often because they know our service exists and how we can help. Okay. Um, so I guess, what do people normally call about? I mean, is it usually like really, really um, high-profile incidents that we're talking about? Or, or like when, when people, you say, are just kind of wanting to go explore the backcountry, uh, what exactly does that mean? I mean, are they calling you to say, I'm just going out here and what should I be looking for? Or how does that work? No, so for tasks, how it works is if uh, somebody gets lost or gets in trouble, gets injured, they call in either ambulance or RCMP, and then they give us a call. So really the awareness is coming more from the emergency services side of it. Um, we don't have people call us directly. <laughs> so that does uh, 
does change things a little bit, but uh, where we do reach out to the public is in a lot of our community services. So we've got an Adventure Smart program. We have a presenter here in town, and he goes out and presents to different groups, uh, straight out from the elementary kids all the way up through some of the adult programs like the hiking club. And then we also get out and do things like meet a machine and emergency services day, and we talk to people in person there. Um, when, when we're looking at 2019 specifically, I don't know if you can, um, you know, pinpoint this down, but was there any particular search or, or event that occurred that maybe, um, you know, is more high profile than the rest? Can you think of anything that maybe had accumulated more of those man hours than, than uh, you know, other incidents? Oh, for sure. We definitely had a few larger tasks, a lot higher profile. Most of our tasks tend to fly under the radar, but uh, the big ones I think most people probably heard of was the Ben Tyner search in Merritt. That was eight operational periods for us, so it was quite significant. Uh, another one was for Bjorn Colness in Monty Lake area. Uh, we spent four operational periods on that one as well. And of course, most recently looking for Richard Jules just right here in town mm -hmm. in Kamloops. Mm -hmm. That one was... Uh, Two days, but it was still quite high profile. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's kind of, a, I think, a good summary of 2019. Anything else that you wanted to add on, on the year that was before we look ahead? I'm just so proud of all of our volunteers and all of the time and effort that they've put in this year. Definitely a great team to be part of. Awesome. And uh, yeah, just we have a couple of minutes left, so I thought we'd take a, take a couple of minutes here to look ahead at 2020. I understand there's some, some big uh, milestones, if you will, coming up, uh, potentially a new haul for you guys. Um, you know, is there anything that you're looking forward to here in 2020? Well, 2020, definitely watching the haul progress. We're expecting to move in early 2021, so we're going to see all the construction happen this year. A lot of planning is going to happen. That's going to be really exciting for the team, I think, to watch that happen. We get to have our input into what it'll look like and what exactly we're going to be putting into the space. So uh, a lot of planning <laughs> around that. Uh, and we expect, as the last three years have been, to be very similarly busy. So there'll be a lot of training and prep going into this year as well. Um, what, what does your volunteer situation look like? Do you guys, uh, you know, are you pretty stockpiled on people? Or are you always looking for more? Always looking for more. I, I don't think stockpiled is really <laughs> a, a great way to describe search and rescue yeah, for yeah. any of the teams in BC, but uh, we have probably roughly 30 dedicated volunteers that show up regularly to tasks or training. That doesn't mean they're all at the same task and training every mm -hmm. single time, but they're regularly able to show up to different tasks and training. And we've also got uh, a number of MITs that are so members in training that are coming into the system just this January. We're going to start training with them and bring them in as well. Awesome. And uh, a couple new dogs as well, right? Oh, yes. Definitely the dogs are always fun. Uh, we currently have two validated dogs with Search and Rescue in Kamloops. And we had two puppies pass their puppy in training or pass their puppy validations and are now officially puppies in training for Search and Rescue. Awesome. Well, Jen, uh, it pretty much wraps up our time. But thank you so much for coming in and providing some feedback as to what 2019 looked like and maybe what we can expect here in 2020. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Jen Stahn with Kamloops Search and Rescue. Coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking about football and getting you ready for Wild Card Weekend. So stick around. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. 
Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show and thanks so much for tuning in. This weekend we get set for the beginning of the NFL playoffs. Yes, the road to the Super Bowl is going to uh, ramp up here starting on Saturday. A pair of games on Saturday and a pair of games on Sunday as it is wild card weekend. I am joined now by a buddy of mine who I haven't talked to here since, uh, well, since the beginning of the season when we had him on to talk about what uh, what things might look like over the course of the 2019 NFL season. Well, now that the season's done and the playoffs are set to set to begin, I am joined now by sports betting analyst with oddshark.com, Jill Gallant. Jill, thanks so much for coming back. Jeff, thank you. Yes, how does it feel? Buffalo Bills back in the playoff hunt, going to be playing the first playoff game this weekend. I'm pretty excited about it. This is uh, two of the last three years now. I mean, uh, Coach McDermott uh, has really turned the culture around there. I mean, they hadn't made the playoffs in like 20 years, and, and now, like I said, two out of three years. So it feels uh, feels like it's actually a team we're cheering for again. And that's the thing is that they get the opening game on the Saturday, and usually the two teams that get assigned that game or the way they schedule is always the uh, – like maybe like the lesser than teams and it's always kind of like a little bit of a crappy game so uh the fact that buffalo and houston it's actually a pretty decent matchup uh especially with the way that buffalo's defense has been playing that uh it's actually going to be worth watching and worth uh maybe putting some bets on i think it will be and uh i think particularly for me anyway as a bills fan this might have been the matchup i was hoping for more than any out of the uh, afc teams i think buffalo matches up well with houston and i really think they have a chance to win i know houston's a, a three-point favorite i believe right now but uh, I, I like their chances so let's just uh, start getting into some of the action here Jill. i guess we'll start with that one uh who do you like in that matchup I think I have to go with Buffalo just because of the defensive edge. Uh, Buffalo, uh, their secondary is easily a top five uh, asset uh, in the uh, in the NFL. Uh, Houston's defense is just really banged up now. Betting if we're if we're using quarterbacks to try to split hairs here, obviously Deshaun Watson is way better than Josh Allen. I don't think anybody's going to be making a debate of whether or not who to choose in that game for that edge. But I still think that Houston's defense is just a little bit leaky that I think the Bills could exploit that, especially with their run game and the way that Josh Allen is. He's rushed for eight touchdowns this year. Um, since coming into his rookie season, all he does is run in touchdowns. Uh, more than likely, I'll probably be betting on him and then also Cole Beasley to score a touchdown. Your boy, uh, he pays about 3-1 to one usually every week to score a touchdown. He scores a touchdown, I think, uh, I want to say, six of the last nine weeks of the season. Something like that. He's, he was on fire, and it, and it really um, came to fruition in that Dallas game, you know, that revenge game. He had a couple of yeah, touchdowns, thank, thank I believe. You. And thank you for uh, sticking that to me. <laughs> had to, had to, man. That was a big one. I mean, yeah, well. your, your, your Cowboys just missed the playoffs, and uh, it was kind of a disaster of the last six games for them, but uh, maybe you don't want to relive that. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I was having a good time, and then all of a sudden now you just want to throw me off the off the cliff here. No, 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 it's all good. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was a uh, a year of uh, clownship, I would say. Uh, there's a lot of uh, one step forward, two step back kind of thing. Uh, more than likely, that head coaching staff is going to get cleared out, and uh, we move on to 2020. And uh, one of the things that you've been doing a lot of this year, I've noticed, is doing a lot of the, the in-game bets. I know you like to put somebody down on touchdown, touchdown scores, um, and, and you mentioned Cole Beasley as one of your favorites here in this particular game. But one of the things I've seen you bet a lot on this year is turnovers. And looking at the four wildcard games this weekend, I think this one, the Texans and the Bills, has the, the biggest chance of producing multiple turnovers. I mean, how, how are you looking in, in that? Is there a particular game that you see as being uh, one that's more turnover-prone than the other, or, or are you agreeing with me that it might be this Texans-Bills game here? 
Well, the thing is for me is the way that I like to do it, like with so in-game props for turnovers, you can bet uh, for uh, some online sports books. You can bet on uh, a drive-by-drive basis. So you can bet on whether or not it's going to be a touchdown or a field goal or whether or not the, the team will uh, turn the ball over. Um, now, there are certain matchups, like you could take like Jameis Winston, for example, and you could pretty much uh, make a killing uh, betting any of those games with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But out of the two games on Saturday, I actually – disagree i don't think buffalo houston is just as appealing i actually think the tennessee new england matchup is actually a little more appealing uh for this prop because again it's ryan Tannehill, and he's going against the new england secondary who leads the league in interceptions they had the top three pass defense in the league um they were through a historical run through the first eight weeks i know a lot of people will look at that week 17 matchup against the dolphins and try to write off the patriots uh their chances of advancing but uh tennessee i feel like they'll go into foxborough they're not going to have that same type of uh uh, game plan like they're going to be running the ball a lot but I think if Ryan Tannehill has to throw it uh, they don't have the receivers like uh, like Devontae Parker kind of torch uh, Stephon Gilmore there in week 17 I don't think A.J. Brown or Corey Davis has that kind of ability I think Ryan Tannehill will force it in a couple too many times especially being in Foxborough hostile environment in prime time I think he could turn it over within two of the first four drives of the game, and that would be a, a huge profit if you were betting that each time. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. The, the Patriots have a, a knack for getting the ball uh, turned over this season, and, and like you had mentioned, it was uh, it was historic there to, to start the year and kind of tailed off a little bit towards the end, but it didn't really change the fact that they were still probably, a, if not the top defense in the league, that one of the top three. And, and Ryan Tannehill, as nice as he, a story as he has been this year, um, you know, he's still a guy who you know has always had question marks about being a starting quarterback and and maybe he's better than Marcus Mariota but that doesn't change the fact that he might uh he might not be necessarily ready for these primetime games uh, he, he hasn't yeah. been in the past with the Dolphins and, and I don't know why it would change with the Titans exactly I'm not just gonna forget the first six seven years of him of his career in Miami and then all of a sudden think okay well he had an eight game stint where he leaned on Derrick Henry most of it at a strong defense and then all of a sudden he won't still make poor decisions in uh, in critical moments. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, so with that in mind, I really think New England, uh, right now they're hovering around 4.5 point favorite, depending on the sports book you use. And I really think New England is going to win this game by 10. Now it's where the next week, you know, where they may be potentially playing Kansas City. We could talk about that later. I think that's where they'll end up getting beat very handily. All right, well, we will get into that. Uh, I want to get over to the NFC real quick here as well, but maybe just before we move on, uh, we talked about the first two games here on the AFC side of things. Uh, who do you got in each game? All right, so yeah, so uh, with New England, I like New England to win. I also like them to cover the spread. Uh, I actually like Buffalo to pull off the upset. Not trying to suck up to you. I just honestly think that the Bills uh, are actually uh, a much better team uh, top to bottom compared to Houston. Now, I feel like Houston, if they do win, it's probably going to be on a last-second field goal, but they are not going to route this Buffalo team. So give me the Buffalo Bills uh, plus three. Perfect. So that would set up uh, the Bills playing Baltimore, and then the Patriots would be going into right. Kansas City. And uh, Kansas City and New England have produced some great matchups here in the last year and a half. So I, uh, I really hope that does come to fruition because uh, it's, it's good entertainment, that's for sure. Well, and it's also a team, I think, as well with the Bills, if you were to advance, I also think that Baltimore may actually be a better matchup for you than Kansas City. Uh, so just something to keep in mind there uh, for your uh, anybody who's trying to bet on the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl. 
I don't know if anyone's making that bet, but I'm sure it would pay quite a bit of money. So maybe it, uh, maybe it might be worth doing just for that aspect alone. Just, just the people who live in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, looking ahead here to the NFC Wild Card matchup. So we got uh, the Vikings Saints. That's the early game here on Sunday. Um, the Saints look like they, uh, you know, could really be a team that, that has a chance at, at winning a Super Bowl here this year. We feel like we say that almost every season, but um, yeah, this year is no different. Uh, almost were able to get that home. Field field advantage through the playoffs, but uh, couldn't quite squeeze it out there on week 17, or at least uh, get that second seed in the NFC. So they are stuck uh, in the three seed as a result of the 49ers beating the Seahawks there on Sunday night, much to the chagrin of many Seahawks fans out here in BC. But uh, nonetheless, the Saints set to host the Vikings. Um, I think this should be a pretty good game. I think uh, maybe this isn't getting as much love as it should be from some of the experts out there. Not many people giving the Vikings much of a shot. Well, it's kind of hard because of the fact that the last time we saw Kirk Cousins in primetime, uh, and really uh, just if we're using Monday Night Football as an example, like he's 0-9, for example, on Monday Night Football, not that it has anything to do with Sunday afternoon, but just the fact that it's it's a nationally televised game, it's primetime, it's the only thing people are watching, they're going into New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> New Orleans has just looked so strong at home. Like The only really two games that they've had trouble with at home were obviously the uh, the Niners game, which they still put up 41 points, and then of course the division rival against Atlanta, where they uh, just kind of crapped the bed there. Uh, but uh, I think the main thing with New Orleans is that their offense is just moving along so well right now that uh, I really don't think that Minnesota is going to be able to stop them, and I don't think that they can outscore New Orleans either. So for me, uh, right now they're eight-point favorites. I think they win that game by 10. Uh, I think the next week is actually going to be a little bit tougher of a game for New Orleans, uh, maybe potentially having to go into Green Bay if they when they win that game, uh, win and if I still think New Orleans is going to win that game. But uh, moving on with uh, Seattle and Philadelphia, that actually game I think is where there's going to be an upset. I actually think the Eagles could beat the Seahawks very handily. They're home dogs right now, about two and a half points. Uh, I really don't think that Seattle, just based on the injuries, uh, can keep up with the Eagles right now because the Eagles, well, for whatever reason, when their back is up against the wall is when they play the best. And uh, yeah, I, I know that obviously the Eagles lost earlier in the season uh, to Seattle uh, at home. Um, but uh, I just think that it's going to be a different outcome at this time around. Yeah, and like I was saying, there's a lot of Seahawks fans out here on the West Coast, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to this game, and, and many, I'm sure, are looking at this matchup and saying, you know, the, the Eagles might be a better team for them to play than uh, than actually hosting Minnesota. There's some people I've talked to who feel visiting Philadelphia might actually be a better matchup than having to host uh, the Minnesota Vikings, which would have happened had they beat the 49ers here this past Sunday. Um, I guess, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on this team as a whole? I mean, I think the Seahawks have had a bit of a deceit record this year a lot of one possession games I think they had 10 games decided by one possession or less um, I'm not sure that it necessarily tells the whole story about this team um, but I think uh, maybe they're a little bit overrated based on their, their 11 wins here this year I think um, you know they easily could have lost four or five of those games well, they're a team that likes to play from behind. Like, and I don't, e- and I don't even know if they like to. They just—that's what happens in most of their games. They just get down, and then Wilson has to conjure some magic, and then eventually leads them past uh, whoever there is. Like, like you were saying, like in ten of those eleven wins this year that they had, um, they were all by one score. So it wasn't like they were blowing teams out. And then also. I think just the loss of Chris Carson and I like I love the emotional nostalgia for Marshawn Lynch. I thought like I bet on him for a touchdown because I knew it was a lock at at uh, t- uh, three to one. So I think just it's too much injuries to overcome now. 
I could be wrong. The Eagles could just have uh, peaked, you know, uh, beating uh, NFC East uh, garbage teams uh, like my Cowboys and uh, just basically making sure that they can do enough to win. And maybe the Seahawks roll them. But I just think based on history of the season, it's going to be very difficult for Seattle, I think, to win by uh, more than a field goal. So I think just uh, with the Eagles at home, with how they play, I think I would still just back them. Now, the Seahawks, the other thing that's been kind of bothering me with them is that I, like, I just don't really love the coaching lately of like Pete Carroll. He's been making a lot of like poor decisions at critical times. I mean, obviously, I don't want to talk about you know uh, Super Bowl Forty Nine. That has nothing to do with the situation. It's just more, uh, the, you know, that delay, delay a game penalty really mm-hmm. bugged me. You know, with the Niners, and for me, that's something that I. Uh, I just worry about, you know, in some of these critical games coming up, uh, the Seahawks are going to make the right decisions and that Wilson will be able to uh, make enough plays to overcome uh, the, the coaching staff instead of uh, being embraced by it. But who knows? Uh, again, I, I still think that uh, the Seahawks, uh, like I picked them to win 10 games this year. I thought they were really good. But just uh, Chris Carson is just a huge blow for them. And I think that's, uh, you know, the passing game is going to have to be electric in Philly in order to beat them. Yeah, and then Russell Wilson's more than capable of doing it, but uh, it doesn't always uh, seem to work out that way. So we'll see what happens here on uh, on Sunday and if that uh, is indeed the case. All right, so we got uh, the Bills and the Patriots moving on in the AFC. We got the Saints and the Eagles moving on from the NFC, according to your projections. So we got uh, a few good divisional matchups coming up after that. Uh, we don't have time to really break it all down, so I just sort of want to look ahead here and, and see who you got going to the Super Bowl itself. A lot of people will be making those, those bets here this week, um, you know, just trying to see who's going to be the overall winner. So I'm just curious what you're you're uh, putting your money on right now, and as we look ahead to uh, Super Bowl uh, 54. So- yeah, Super Bowl 54, and I think that the AFC rep- representative is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. They're the only team in the last two years that has beaten Baltimore that way. Like, Baltimore in Week 2 is one of their few losses. Uh, they beat them last year with Lamar. I also think that in the NFC, uh, I would probably go with the Niners. Uh, I think the Niners are overall just top to bottom. They have the best roster, but I think right now, if I was to choose between two teams, it's basically between San Francisco and New Orleans. Uh, I think I would have to go with the Niners, so it's going to be a Chiefs Niners Super Bowl with are you ready? Mm-hmm. The Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are going to win Super Bowl 54. And who's your MVP? It's got to be Mahomes, right? Well, it usually goes to quarterbacks, so I would highly doubt that it would go to a skill player. Unless a defensive player balls out and strips sacks uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo a bunch of times, or you know, or maybe like a Frank Clark or a Tyron Matthew maybe gets two interceptions. But that award typically goes to the quarterback, so it'll be uh, Patrick Mahomes for Super Bowl MVP. Well, I uh, I like the pick in the sense that I really would love to see Andy Reid get a Super Bowl. I think of all the coaches that have been in the NFL for as long as they have, I think he deserves one more than anybody at this point. Yeah, I think uh, he's been dog for years uh, with uh, late decision making, uh, timeout, poor timeout taking, like you know all that kind of, all the stuff that you could think of with a with a coach with his resume, why he doesn't have a Super Bowl. It's for those type of reasons. But uh, I just think they have too much talent. I think their defense is a lot better, and I just think that they can beat the Ravens in ball. Baltimore. So uh, I'm going to go with the Chiefs.
Right on. Well, I like it, and I think that's some good advice for people who are looking to throw a little money down here this weekend, and whether it be uh, for single-game bets or you want to bet on the entire playoffs, uh, you know, there, there's some good advice there for people to go about doing so. So check out oddshark.com. Uh, you can you can see some of Jill's work there and also, uh, you know, see what the the lines are at this point in time. I know they're probably going to be shifting as uh, as we move towards the weekend, so uh, keep an eye on them and get your bets in when you think the, uh, the irons are hot. So that's my advice out there, and, and thanks so much for coming on and, and giving some advice to all the the listeners here uh just for uh, for the record my super bowl pick right now is uh, i'm i'm taking the patriots over the 49ers i just can't bet against the pats because every time i want to i get it wrong so i'm not going to do it well at least if you are if that does happen and we have to watch that happen again at least you'll be on the right side of history and also i just wanted to mention if you want to see any of my in-game props any of my touchdown scores any of those type of props that you like to bet that maybe make the game a little more interesting just follow me on twitter at gdog5000 that is g D-A-W-G-5000. Yep, it's a good follow, so I recommend people do it. Thanks so much for doing this, Jill. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Jeff. Coming up after the break, we're now in the 20s, and it looks like a lot of progress is being made on a new vaccine for dementia. I'll fill you in on what's happening there to end off today's show. So that will be coming up after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. A vaccine designed to prevent dementia is set to enter human trials after some successful tests on mice. If the treatment is proven to work safely on people, it could be available within a decade, researchers are saying. The revelation, published in the journal Alzheimer's Research and Therapy, comes after 20 years of research backed by the U.S. government, which was largely carried out in Australia. The treatment is a combination of two different drugs and is said to work by targeting and then removing the brain plaque and nanofiber tangles, which lead to cognitive decline and memory failure. It also has the potential to prevent Alzheimer's in people who are predisposed to the disease. It is said to be unlike anything currently available in Canada because the most medicines have achieved so far is to reduce symptoms rather than targeting the specific problems which impact the brain. Over 747,000 Canadians are living with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia worldwide. At least 44 million people are living with it. That's more than, of course, the total population of Canada, making the disease a global health crisis which must be addressed. Well, if you've ever seen someone suffering from memory loss or, uh, you know, you, you know how sad that can potentially be to watch and how traumatic it can be for those who love those people who are, you know, slowly declining when it comes to their memory and what they're able to remember. And uh, it's definitely a sad situation that many here are living with, like I said, over 747,000 Canadians. Uh, so th- so that's, that's a lot of people that, uh, that are slowly uh, seeing their brain function decline. And, and it's an unfortunate situation, one that we would like to see changed. And, and maybe here in the 20s, uh, we will see some treatment beyond what we have ever seen before when it comes to dementia and when it comes to Alzheimer's. And, and maybe by the time the 
uh, 2030s roll around while memory loss caused by dementia will be a thing of the past. Like I had said earlier here, uh, this uh, vaccine designed to prevent dementia is set to enter human trials after successful tests on mice and they think uh, you know it could be within the next decade that we see this become something that, uh, that is actually able to be used in the medical field and might help prevent dementia and memory loss from occurring. So we can only hope that that will be the case. So it's, uh, what is it, January 2nd, 2020? So maybe January 2nd, 2030, uh, we won't have to talk about dementia or Alzheimer's anymore. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have yourself a wonderful rest of your Thursday. And I'll be back here on Friday at 9.